Good. Okay, if you've fallen asleep, you can wake up now because I'm just about to start. And uh, time is short, so it's quite hilarious that our verse is the first part of Hebrews 11:32. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon. So, which is which is ironic because I don't have much time to tell you about Gideon. But we're going to just look at his story anyway. Uh, we won't read the verses. If, if you want to read them later, it's a tremendous, dramatic story. It's in Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. And uh, Judges is actually not my favorite uh, book. It's a really up and down book. It's a time when the people of God do well for a time and then they crash and burn because they stop trusting in God and stop following him and everything goes pear-shaped. Excuse a theological term. And, and they do that constantly, up and down and up and down. And, and, and unlike a really good novel, it ends up with, uh, the book ends when they're in the middle of a civil war. So it's not the most cheerful book, but it's a great lesson, isn't it? When we walk with God, we tend to do better than when we don't walk with God. And, and, and when they walked, when the people of God walked with God, he provided good leaders and victory over evil forces. When they didn't walk with God, he actually allowed them to have poor leaders and, and evil forces actually started to overwhelm them until usually they finally got the message. Like some of us start to pray only when everything is really bad. And, uh, and God in his mercy and grace hears the prayers of people that neglect him the rest of the time, comes to our rescue and lifts us up, puts our feet on a rock. And it's best if we stay there rather than like the people in Judges who went up and down, up and down. Uh, but that's the, the context of this story. And, and the story begins with Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. And he's hi- hiding from the baddies who, uh, in this case, were the Midianites. And they'd been under the thumb of the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites had raiding bands. It says they were like locusts covering the land. And they basically came at harvest time, took all the grain, took all the the good animals, oppressed the people of God, uh, and then went off. So they were living in fear. And and Gideon's there threshing wheat uh, in a a wine press and, uh, and hiding. That's where it is. And, and, and what happens is someone comes to him, turns out it's an angel, and, and speaks to him about his, what I'll call his faith identity. He says, greetings, mighty warrior. I don't know how you would feel if someone said that to you. Try turning to your neighbor and just saying, greetings, mighty warrior. Yes. There's a few raised eyebrows going around. See, Gideon, like us, didn't, didn't really look or feel like a warrior. A, a wine press is, is, is a hollow. You press the wine, the wine in it, it would have been... The best thing to do with threshing is you need, you need, at the very least, two. if you go to a threshing barn, you have two huge doors open so that a breeze comes through and you whack, you whack the wheat and you put it up in the air and the, the grain separates from the salt. You need a breeze. You don't do it in a wine press, which is a hollow. Or a building. You just don't do it there. So Gideon is not feeling like a mighty warrior. He's feeling like a scaredy cat. He's feeling oppressed, depressed. As we'll see, he's got all sorts of questions going on. Uh, the normal uh, grain for people of that time, the normal thing they ate would have been barley loaf. He's eating wheat, which means he's a middle class guy. So he's a middle class scaredy cat trying to keep what little he's got. 
from when, and he's feeling oppressed. That's, that's Gideon. That's what he's like. He's doing better than most, but he's oppressed and he's trying to keep what he's got and keep it safe in scary circumstances. That's, that's Gideon. Some of us might identify with him. And the Midianite bands are keeping Israel in fear and in relative poverty. And God speaks to him and says, hello, you mighty warrior. And really, it's a word speaking sort of prophetic possibilities. I mean, it's not actually real at that moment. He's neither mighty nor a warrior. He's he's sort of from a poor family, but middle classy, just trying to keep what he's got. That's, That's his position. I'm just trying to maintain something. I'm standing my ground and I'm hiding. And this word really is how God sees him and almost what God can make him. Does that make sense? It's not what he is, it's how God sees his future. That's, that's how prophetic things are. But it's a possibility. And I'm so pleased and, and I want us to note that God doesn't focus on what we were. Some of us struggle to get over what we were, what we've done. God doesn't focus on what we were or what we've done. He doesn't even focus on what Gideon is. He calls Gideon and he calls us forward to what we can be in him. What he calls us, what he says about you is the most important thing in the world, really. What does God say about you? Have you become his child? Have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins? If you have, then he says, you're my son. You're my child. I love you. Ah, but what about my past? This happened, that happened. I'm not talking about your past. I'm talking about who you are in my eyes and what you can be. And he comes to Gideon and he probably comes to us and, and, and whispers faith things in our ears. I can use you. I've given you gifts. I've given you talents and abilities. I've given you opportunities to serve me. He whispers faith words in our ears because he doesn't focus on what we were he looks and calls us forward that's wonderful we've looked at that we've been doing a series on hebrews 11 i'm sure they're somewhere on our website if you if you want to look at any of them and we've seen that 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 god was speaking to these hebrews who were wanting to go back slightly fearful a bit scared of persecution possibly even thinking of turning from their faith and 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 he speaks to them through a series of people in the scripture and saying hey you can be like that you you can have a similar faith to noah they all did different things all these characters some walked around walls and they fell down some with tears put the baby in the water so they all did different things some set off not knowing quite where they were going And God calls us to our walk of faith and says, hey, you are a man or a woman of faith. And like Gideon, we say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, what's it got to do with your feelings? When God says something and we disagree with him, there's only one of us that's wrong. No prizes for guessing. (laughs) When God says something over us and we disagree with him, only one of us is wrong. And he looks at us and says, you're a people of faith. You're a people called to trust me. Trust me and do stuff. All of the people in this chapter did things. They all did different things. We've got different callings and giftings, but they all did things. 
And God calls us to those possibilities. And then we come up, like Gideon, with sort of doubtful questions. That's what Gideon did. It's all in Judges uh, chapter 6 and 7. And, and he comes up with questions like this. But if God is with us, then how come and why did that happen? Do you ever do that? I, I've, I've, I've never yet had an answer to my why questions. I've got a growing list. Some of them are painful things. Some of them are things that I just cannot understand. Well, why did you allow that? And how come this? And if, you, if you're that, then why isn't this happening? And, 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 and you know, in this chapter, God doesn't answer his question. He never does answer his question. He just doesn't. So I don't know, some of you won't find that comforting, but he doesn't. What, the God of all the earth doesn't owe us an explanation, you know. He's a sovereign, marvelous, mighty God. He doesn't owe us an explanation. And you know what? If he gave you one, you probably wouldn't understand it. It's true. His thoughts are so far and high above ours as the heavens are above the earth. So his thoughts are above our thoughts. And, and so Gideon's struggling with these questions. Well, how come? What about the Midianites? And I've heard about these signs and wonders in the past. and I've not seen any of them. And why isn't that happening? And this didn't work out. And, and I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. And... And so he has these questions about why. And, and then his second letter of, lot of questions are really to do with him and his family. But how can I do anything? I'm just me. I'm from a small family and I'm, we're struggling and, and we're not significant. How can I? So he had doubts in just the two areas, God and himself. <laughs> That's all. Well, Debbie and I went around a national trust uh, property recently, Castle Drogo. And they said there's, 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 um, there's only, only three problems with this building. The roof, the windows, and the walls. <laughs> Gideon was a bit like, yeah, no, God wanted to use him, and he only had two problems, him and God. That was the only two problems he had. He had doubts. He had doubts about himself. Do you? No, well, I can't be the only one that sometimes has doubts about himself, knowing me like I do. And he had doubts about God, and God wasn't going to give him an explanation either. And it seems like, actually, at the end of the day, it's God's presence that is the key. It's not really us. It's humbling but true. The answer to doing things by faith is not within ourselves. We don't, we don't find the answer there. The answer is, God says to him, I will be with you. Judges 6, verse 16. I will be with you. Now that, that's it, isn't it? Jane said this morning, I, I didn't really feel anything. No, but she didn't need to. God was with her. God is with us. He's with us when, when you go to school. He's with you when you go to college. He's with you when you witness to your neighbor. He's with you as you, uh, you're beside a hospital bed. He's with you in the funeral parlor. He's with you wherever you go, whatever you do. The Apostle John wrote this, 1 John 4, verse 14. The one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. That's, a, that's great, isn't it? In the context, is he's talking about the, 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 the spirits of evil that are out there in the world, the forces of evil that range against faith. And he says, no, the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And so God says to Gideon, go in the strength you have. Well, well, he didn't have any. No, well, I'm with you though. That's the strength we have, that God 
is with us. I, I have a suspicion that if we really knew this in our Noah, I'm not sure where our Noah is connected, but it's not, it's not just there. It's also somewhere in your stomach or I don't know. I don't know where your Noah is. But if we really knew this in our Noah, we would see so much more happening than we do. If we really knew God is with us. That's our faith identity. Didn't Jesus say that? As you go into all the world, I'll be with you. And therefore you can make disciples and you can baptize them and you can teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you. Oh, I can't do that. No, it's as you go, as you go about normal life, I will be with you. So that's how it begins for Gideon, with his faith identity. And maybe God is speaking to some of us this morning about that. We must learn our faith identity. And here's the next thing Gideon had to learn. It's that faith starts at home. God told him to go and demolish his village shrine, which was owned by his dad. Yeah, very difficult, Julie, you're right. Very difficult. And it was devoted to the god, god uh, called Baal, who's a god of fertility. It's a rather disgusting form of worship. We won't go into that. And he was told, cut that down, knock it to bits, and build an altar, a place to worship God, and make a sacrifice. I know, says God, make it one of those valuable bulls of your dad's. You know, the ones he takes to the Morven show and wins a gold every year. That'll do. Do that one. Sacrifice that bull. That's, that's, that's tough, isn't it? Does anyone else find that it's with your own family it's hardest? Yes, often. And that's what God tells him to do because faith starts at home. He had to take an expensive, radical, dangerous and public step, even though he did it in the middle of the night, but everybody knew who it was anyway. So they get up the next morning, the sacred grove's been knocked down, the altar's smashed. They say, who did this? Oh, it was Gideon. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he did it at night. This altar's got to go. Why? Because I'm calling you to follow me. Can I ask you a a question? It's very simple. How many altars in your life? How many altars in your life? God dislikes more than one altar in your life. So that's why Jesus said you can't worship God and mammon. You just can't. You can't worship God and cool, really. You can't worship God and liberal values. You you can just worship God. And so God calls us. Dave was quite right this morning. If we want victories, then there's a question of authority. It's quite right, Dave. And that's what Gideon was learning. Okay, you want to be used, you want to defeat the forces of evil, you want to see the kingdom of God advance. Okay, well, let's deal with this thing right in the root of your home then. Let's smash down that altar. Let's make a clear stand for God. You see, there are times when Jesus calls us to say, well, all the time, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. All the other stuff will take care of itself. And there are times where we have to nail our colours to the mast, as it were. Where we have to make a stand, where we have to be really, really clear. And it's not easy. It's not easy, particularly with family, but it's absolutely vital. So he had to smash that down and then he had to build an altar to the Lord. We don't usually use that kind of terminology. Sounds a bit bit quaint, doesn't it? Building an altar to the Lord in your life. Have a worship life. I don't mean just coming here on Sundays. It's great to come here on Sundays and sing and worship together. But, but, but have a 
place or a time, a, a something in your life where you build an altar. I know it's difficult. Have a, have a time in your day or your week where you press pause and you reflect on God. And you say, you're God. And thank you for this and that. And I'm concerned about that and the other. Whatever you, you do to connect with God. Build an altar to God. And Gideon came through that test and the spirit of the Lord, it says, came upon him. And this scared, let's preserve what we've got guy, ended up calling 32,000 people to fight against evil. And that looks really great, but you know, he still had a shaky faith. And I, I quite like this bit. Because I like the Bible's realism. Don't you? I, I like the, the Bible's a warts and all book. And Gideon now has a shaky moment. Do you ever have those? You start doing something by faith and then you think, ah! And uh, walking by faith, it's quite stable walking by faith until you stop halfway through a step. And that, that's sort of wibbly-wobbly. So Gideon had a wibbly-wobbly time. And God has commissioned Gideon. He's filled him with his Holy Spirit. And then he comes to God and says, look, I, I know you spoke, but just to make it quite clear, just so I really, really, really know, I'm going to put a fleece out on my back lawn and in the morning, if it's really you speaking, I'd like, I'd like it to be, I can't remember which way around, I'd like the fleece to be dry and the ground wet. Uh, in any case, God did that. And just to make quite sure, Gideon demands that he does it the other way around the next night. Does anyone feel slight? Oh, I'm a bit like that. It's interesting, isn't it? And some people built a whole, I think wrongly, built a whole theology around, around putting out fleeces. And they don't actually do it. They don't put a fleece out on the back lawn, but they ask God for all sorts of signs and all sorts of things. And, and of course, God can speak however he wants to. He's sovereign. And in the Bible, he speaks in all sorts of extraordinary ways. But I, I think God was very kind and patient with Gideon, quite frankly, because <laughs> God had already spoken to him. He'd already told him what to do. But God kindly and patiently guides him. Can I say, you know, God knows your need of reassurance, and he's happy to do that. But can, can we believe what he's already said? When, when he's spoken, let's, let's just trust him, because he said it. He said it in his word. And God normally guides because you've got a prayerful attitude, because you get a growing conviction about something, because you look at what he's already said in his word, because you look at your own giftedness, and because you listen to some other people. That's wisdom. That's the normal way he guides. And so we proceed prayerfully and carefully submitted to God, who can open doors and shut doors. That's, that's, that's the norm. So I don't want us to get all too fleecy. <laughs> if you're too fleecy, I don't know. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. The Bible says, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, in all your ways acknowledge him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't look at your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. So God is kind to Gideon and uh, allows him some fleeces and, and helps him through that stage. And, uh, and then Gideon has to learn another fantastic lesson, which is this, that God plus one is a majority. For those of you who like figures, because I know some people, some people here are numbers people, there are 32,000 Israelites versus... 135,000 Midianites. That's not good odds, is it? 32,000 Israel and 135,000 uh, baddies. 
And God says, there are too many. And Gideon says, I know. There are too many Midianites. And God says, no, no, there's too many Israelites. What? What do you mean there's too many Israelites? There's only 32,000, 135,000 of them. They're like the locusts. And, uh, and God says, no, 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 no. And again, you know, who's right? God, obviously. And so he says, I tell you what, and I don't know any other commander that's ever done this on the eve of a battle. Anyone that's feeling nervous, <laughs> you can go home now. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh, I mean, imagine that at Tobruk or some, you know, D-Day landings. <laughs> Anyone feeling slightly nervous? Okay, have the day off. But that's what God does. And, and 22,000 leave. Out of 32, there's only 10,000 left. And then God does something which is completely unscientific. He leads them to a stream and says, okay, let's see how you drink. Some of you are going to lap the water, some of you are going to... And he gets rid of nearly all of them. There's only 300 left. Isn't that strange? I don't know if you've ever had an experience of that. That's not human maths. You don't get that from doing a Myers-Briggs analysis of who should go to the battle. You, you don't. It doesn't matter what psychological testing you employ, that won't work that way. This is not logical, this is God. There is now, as I did the maths, one Israelite for every 450 opponents. The odds got worse. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever had situations where, where it's like that. When, when Debbie and I lived in Bedford, we had clear, clear, clear instructions to plant two churches. And, uh, and so we did. We planted two churches out. And then when there was almost no one left, it seemed like God was saying, well, now do a building project. And you know the biggest objection? The biggest objection was, why were you so stupid as to plant two churches and send out all the people that would have paid for the building? Which is sort of logical, if you think about it. Well, and what can you say? Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like that's what God was saying. So, so we did it. And it, it all worked out in the end. But it, but it, but it was a Gideon-type moment. I can remember when we planted a church, mighty man and woman of God, with 30 people and lost a third of them in our first year. It, wasn't, it didn't feel great, to be honest. But it's, it's a Gideon moment. You have times in your life where, where God basically says, well, do you trust me or don't you? When other avenues are shut down, when all the logical things to do don't seem open to you, and, and that's, that's, that's it. Or do you trust me, or don't you trust him? And the thing is this, God is very keen for us to know that it's actually all about him. That, that's it. That actually, Richard Thomas can't lead his way out of a wet paper bag, let alone grow a church. No, 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 God gives increase. We sow, we water, we do what we can. God gives increase. And God puts us corporately and individually through times when we say, Lord, I can't do it. And do you know, I think we think of that as a time of great failure. And I think the Lord in heaven is saying, at last he's got it. At last he realizes he can't do it. It's all about him and not to do with us. Because he won't share his glory with another. Zechariah 4 verse 6, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And there's a verse in Corinthians, we haven't got time to read it all. You know, he doesn't call many wise, not many noble, not many this, that and the other. But he calls the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are and so on. He loves to use weak people. 
He loves to use the people that dismiss themselves, that say, God, my family's the weakest, I'm none too promising, and I'm not even sure about you, Lord. And he says, okay, well, I'm sure about me, and I'll be with you, so you go in the strength you have, and I'll do things through you. A weak people dependent upon him see victories. A weak people dependent on him see victories. And so God does all sorts of things. He sends, you know, he sends Gideon into the camp. I love the fact that Gideon goes into the camp. A total pagan is given a dream by God Almighty about uh, Gideon defeating them. And so God <laughs> speaks through a dream, through a pagan, to, to Gideon, the great man of God. And he's reassured there'll be a victory. And, uh, and then they creep around. They have the funny plan. Remember the story? They all have a lamp inside a, inside a jar. That's like they all have a jar and a trumpet on their side. And, and when Gideon says go, they smash. There was a smashing noise all around the camp of the Midianites. And they all shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And wave their torches and don't move. And then the camp's in an utter uproar. And they all rush around killing each other. And God brings about a massive, massive victory. And it's God. And so these people, if they stop to think about it, though the writer hasn't got time to talk about Gideon, they would know they were Hebrews, hence the title. They would know the story of the 300 versus the 135,000. And there's these Christians, like there are in our own day. They felt small, they felt outnumbered, they felt inadequate you ever feel like that surrounded by militant secularism godless materialism but faith in jesus makes all the difference and we can be more than conquerors through him if god is for us who can be against us but here's the thing in the end we have to come out of our wine presses can't cower away frightened trying to protect ourselves now god's calling us out of our wine presses he says to us, hey, you're a man or a woman of faith. You're, you're a warrior for me. Start at home. Start where you are, in other words. Start with the challenge that's in front of you and live for me because me plus you is a majority. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us and then we'll...